Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. Hey, Ray, since it's been so hot out, you've been doing a lot of yard work like myself. How you feeling? I'm hot. I also realize that when you're out there and you're bending around in different positions, you're getting down on your knees. The fact is, I'm feeling it a little bit and I could use some CBD. And I'll tell you what, one CBD is really showing me that they know what to do when it comes to taking care of helping people with pain. Everything from soft gels to oils to gummies and salves and bombs. And it's all online at OneCBD.com. I like the fact that they're organically grown. They are third-party lab tested. They are consciously created. It is made in the USA. I personally like the gummies because I have a sweet tooth. It's all 100% organic. It's all made the best way with the best strains. And that's what's important when you're choosing a CBD product. And one of the many great things about their website that he has full disclosure so that you too can read up about it and find out what may work best for you. He personally had to find something that worked for him because of his medical issues. And Ty's story is right on the website. And if you go there, they'll give you 20% off your first order when you use the code BALANCE at OneCBD.com. That's OneCBD. Achieve a renewed sense of balance. Hey, I'm Marcus in the Darkest. And I'm Ray Coop. Welcome to the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Marcus, one of our favorites. We've been talking about this man since we first sat at the Great American Pub in Narberth and laid out what this podcast would be about. You know who I'm referring to? Of course I know who you're referring to. You think I don't know who you're referring to? That list is starting starting to get a little shorter because we had a long list of people we initially said we wanted to do episodes about. And we never got around to Stevie Wonder till today on the podcast. And I'm so excited to talk about his music, his life. It is one of the truly amazing feats in modern entertainment history. There's no really no other way to paint it, Marcus, because Stevie Wonder started out as a, a prodigy and grew into and beyond what the people who found him and knew him as a kid thought he might become. He took music, R&B, and soul into the 70s in directions that no one had conceived of when they first started his career out of Motown Records or Tamla Records. I think Stevie Wonder did that at a whole new level, especially five albums in the 70s that he just dominated the world charts, show that he took his music and pop music and rock and roll and soul to a whole otherworldly level. Because in the early days, just like with Marvin, who kind of fell into the Motown formula, again, just like everybody else, Stevie Wonder recorded on one of his first records. I think it was the second record he recorded, but the first album that they released, he recorded a Barry Gordy song. Did you know that? I did not know that. We keep finding this as an occurrence when we go through uh, R&B in the 50s and 60s, all these artists who recorded Barry Gordy songs. Yeah, uh, on the, the first record that was released, the jazz record, he did a song called Bam, written by Barry Gordy, the man who put his stamp on everything in the Motown universe. And he's, he was involved in all of that anyways as a songwriter, as a producer. Barry Gordy was very hands-on in grooming the artists, writing up with them, working with them, and I think that's one of the many reasons they had so much success. Here on The Imbalanced History, we've talked a lot, buddy, about uh, the Motown writing team 
And in this episode, it's another slice of Motor City life <laughs> with some different writers involved. And we'll talk about that as we go through the episode, most notably Henry Cosby. But before his career, and that wasn't that long, Marcus, he was born Steveland Hardaway Judkins. Now, mm-hmm. his legal name, last name is Morris, and that's how I've always known him, Stephen Hardaway Morris. But I didn't realize that he was born as Judkins, and, and you know how things, people get divorced and remarried, mm-hmm. and he ended up taking the name Morris. And a couple of years later, they started to call him Little Stevie. Little Stevie Wonder became his real name in the entertainment business, because early on, people realized that he was a prodigy. He could play just about anything. Barry Gordy gave him the name Stevie Wonder after he walked into the Motown Studios for the first time for an audition. And if you watch the Hitsville USA Motown documentary, which is on Showtime, you may be able to get it on some of the other channels now as well. It is a fantastic look at the history of Motown. They remember clearly the first day little Stevie Wonder walked into the Motown Studios, started playing the drums, and walked through all the instruments and played them all. And they were like, He started recording in 62, but in 1961, he wrote and played for Ronnie White of the Miracles, his song Lonely Boy. And that that's kind of the way that Stevie got brought to everybody's attention. Ronnie took him into the label for an audition with Barry, and you know, the bonding was immediate. You described the audition where he played all the instruments and left everybody in wonder, thus little Stevie Wonder. This kid by age 11, 12, already had the elements that some people they were working with didn't have until they were well into their 20s. Did you know that his family was not a musical family? He really was the only one with that musical gift in his entire family? No, I didn't realize that, but I don't think it's a prerequisite that you have to be in a musical family to explore your talent and to grow as a musician or as a performer or as an artist. Here, though, he gets discovered early... And there's another kid who would be on Motown a few years down the line. Mm-hmm. was pretty young when they discovered him. So Stevie Wonder didn't have a bad home life. They no, didn't have no, a lot no, of no, money. No. And he came from a very loving, very religious family. When he was a kid, uh, he played normally with all the other kids and really didn't feel like his blindness, you know, his lack of vision held him back. I think he got really tough because of that. And being like the third of four or something like that in the family. and How about this look at it, so to speak? <laughs> okay. He, even without his sight, yes. he could see. Stevie's was a sad case. He was born premature. And something about the being in the incubator, you know, I guess then it wasn't like today where everything's computer regulated and everything. And it caused a condition called retinopathy. Yeah, too much oxygen or something like that in the right. thing. Caused the eyes to not grow, the retina detaches, and he's permanently blind. And some people who are born with their sight and lose their sight have a, a level that they can see, whether it's light or shadows. And this is a different situation. He was already established as a major artist with all the hits that he had by the time the calendar turned to 1970. He was turning a corner. And we'll talk about that and Stevie's influence on progressive soul, neo-soul, whatever you want to call it, and the way things have gone since the 70s when he and Marvin Gaye both, ironically, turned a corner and really changed the way that we listen
the impact of both he and Marvin Gaye making that change is profound and it is huge. If you throw in the politics, which both of them were very political in different ways, and they broke from the Motown norm by being as political as they were, really was very sensitive and it upset him what was going on. They broke from the Motown norm is why we saw some of the big changes in music because they just said, fuck it, we're doing it. And they did it. Mother, mother, there's too many of you to cry. Brother, 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 there's far too many of you die. And I think they were able to hold I think they were able to hold Barry Gordy hostage Because Barry Gordy knew If these two guys With the levels of talent that they had Are doing what they're doing And they're holding out They've got something really great up their sleeve Between Marvin Gaye and Stevie Wonder They made Motown an insane amount of money there was a moment there as both of those artists turned the corner into a different kind of thing and moving beyond the traditional formula do you think there was a moment when they just looked at each other and went wow did we really do this oh i'm sure they had those wow moments at some of the different stages when they first blew up and dominated the charts under the different labels and then by the end of the 60s when they were really dominating i'm sure they were blown away and then they have these two guys who completely changed the game i'm I'm sure the wows were just off the hook at that point. Well, after everybody said wow and they named him little Stevie Wonder, we mentioned Henry Cosby, who would be involved very closely with Stevie. He was initially hooked up with Clarence Paul, and they worked together on a couple records. They recorded them in reverse order. Um, The first one that came out, uh, The Jazz Soul of Little Stevie, was recorded second and the second record uh tribute to uncle ray was recorded first it was basically clarence paul's concept for stevie as an artist early on and this is where the barry gordy song comes in my friend we've talked about it before how many times barry gordy somehow always got somebody to record songs put them on a record you're looking for something i got something for you right over here um <laughs> the jazz soul of little stevie You'll find a song called Bam. And then I found another uh, song from Barry Gordy called, I call it pretty music, but old people call it the blues. And that ended up being a debut single for Stevie as well. Again, the boss is finding ways to give people the stuff they need to get it done and keep the Motown train running. Barry Gordy really do how to put together a song, a song that people wanted to listen to and a song that made people feel good. As we've talked about many times, his ability to groom artists and develop them was 
top tier. So yeah. they put them on the Motortown Review. We've talked about the Motown bus tours, the Chitlin Circuit, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. They thought it was going pretty well for little Steve Lynn Morris, so they recorded his performance in May of 1963 at the Regal in Chicago. Clap your hand, come on. The song Fingertips from that would put him on the radio. It was just a harmonica jam. Top 40 radio was playing it because it was hot. It jumped out of your ring. He wrote that at that recording on the spot. Fingertips. They're yelling, what key's in it? What key? And you hear everybody. They're like, he's like, go with, basically, like, go with me, go with me. And they went with him and uh, they figured it out. And that just shows you the talent of the Motown musicians and how insanely talented they were. Insanely talented. I think that's when the world got to see this kid is a genius. Is that genius with a Y in there? Pretty much. It's all caps. It's all caps without yelling. Genius. That song has everything you're looking for. I mean, the harmonica part is really strong, right? But when he does the vocal break, right? There's all that. It's all this energy. And then he drops into Mary Had a Little. (laughs) I went, even that he made sound like genius. Yeah. That improbability fit right in with all of the jazz musicians behind him. I mean, seriously, I can't even imagine being able to write a song on the spot like that the way he did. To be able to do it as a young kid, smiling and laughing and being so excited. Watch Stevie Wonder's body language as he's writing this song, and you can feel the crowd feed off his energy. They, they put him in two movies. Yeah. Because they thought they, you know, and they weren't like such a big deal like Elvis, but that's that that period of time when musicians were getting, you know, appearances well, in movies. The Surf Rockers and the Surf yeah. Rock. There's even an album with it. When we run down all the albums and stuff, it's in there. The other thing in this period of time that Stevie got into was hanging in the songwriter's circle. And he started writing songs, right? He wrote Tears of a Clown, which I didn't realize. I didn't realize that either. And that's such a great song. huge hit for Smokey and the Miracles. And to be able to write such an adult theme like that at such a young age, seriously, that is so rare. Very few can pull that off. Stevie Wonder is one of them. Now, in addition to beginning to find his own songwriting muse, don't you think that along the way, maybe he figured out a few things that he didn't understand about how to make songwriting work? Absolutely. And another influence that I read about during prepping this was a drummer, Benny Benjamin, one of the early Motown session drummers if not the first Motown session drummer who was amazing and insanely talented, but he wasn't good at being on time. They think he had a drinking problem and he passed away from a stroke in 69, but he really helped also in that circle develop Stevie Wonder and helped him with his chops and his timing and his songwriting and his grooves.
Well, he got into a groove with the Motown formula, the factory, right? Hitsville, USA. He bought in on all of it, and he was getting all these great songs to record. We'll talk about that as we go through the albums in the second half of the podcast today. One of the things that happened was he kind of got pulled in, even as he began to venture out in his own direction, he kind of got pulled in for an album of instrumentals, 1968 release. Uh, it was the reverse of his name. It was Stevie <laughs> Wonder's spelled backwards. It was Ivitz Red Now. <laughs> and it didn't get a lot of attention. I don't remember hearing anything. Or I mean, there might have been some airplay for the uh, the single, which was his cover of Alfie. <laughs> but this is the kind of stuff that they were trying. Different things were happening. And then it happened, man, when he started making the, the hits, like I Was Made to Lover for Once in My Life, Signed, Sealed, Delivered, My Sharia, More One. Uh, he was on every radio station every damn hour. <laughs> with that many hits, you're going to be spun at least once an hour, sometimes twice an hour probably. Probably. The calendar changes to 1970, and it's almost like a light went on over his head about creativity. And because it's around, isn't it around the same time he was going through the similar transition? Around the same time Marvin was transitioning into what he would do uh, in the 70s and beyond. Yeah, I think the civil rights movement, the racism, the societal views impacted Stevie Wonder a little differently. I think. He went more the way of Martin Luther King Jr. and Love Conquers All, Love Conquers All. I think that you see it in the music, in the songs. hard to compare the two because they're so different but i think you can feel yeah, the. I, I don't hurt yourself i think you can feel <laughs> i think oh i hurt my brain right there um but in all ser- in all seriousness and believe that through love we could really conquer all and i think you see their different feelings and their different energies in that time period and i think stevie really poured his heart out into the love and the uh, positivity in a different way than marvin did And maybe part of Stevie's turn was because he found love and a creative partner in Sarita Wright, who was kind of known as an artist already, but she had songs and stuff in her that would go on to help Stevie turn that corner and make the transition, most notably on the album Where I'm Coming From. And all the songs are written by them together. They become a couple. They get married. And it didn't last a long, long time, but it was very fruitful. I guess is a good way to put it in mm-hmm. regards to the music that they did together. They had that kind of a connection. And maybe because it was a love connection, and Marv was more thinking about, hey, what's going on? Maybe it's just the perspective of the two people. Uh, you mentioned uh, Dr. King. He would be instrumental moving forward into the 70s on, in leading the drive, both in song and in behind-the-scenes stuff of getting a national holiday to honor Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The song itself, Happy Birthday, became a new Happy Birthday song when it was initially released. And just a few years later, we did get that holiday. But before that, we got so much other groundbreaking, unbelievable music from Stevie Wonder. And that's where we'll dig in. How about uh, we go into the albums and through the years with Stevie next, Marcus? 
I'm good with talking about some of those albums because they've had an impact on both you and I in a big way, and they've shaped our musical tastes like they have so many other people that we know. But first, I'm thirsty, dude. Well, I know what'll quench my thirst, and probably yours too, buddy, and that's a nice cold pint from Crook and I Brewery right there in the heart of Hatboro. At York and Montgomery, they're easy to find, and when you get there, you're never going to want to leave. Oh, that place is such a great hangout. It's The beer's all really good. The staff is fantastic. Well, the music has returned to Crooked Eye, and people have returned to Crooked Eye. But don't forget to mask up, and that's necessary under state regulations. Uh, the guys at the pub are taking care to follow the governor's regulations, and you can keep up with not only what's going on there, but all the music and all the activities going on. And you can check out the online open mic They've got a page, too. It's all about Crooked Eye on Facebook, and you can find out what you need to know. Their Facebook presence is fantastic, and they definitely do a great job at keeping people in the know as far as what's going on with Crooked Eye because we know people enjoy, like ourselves, enjoy a nice cold pint of beer, especially on a hot day like today. Go in and see what's on the board and have a nice, frosty, delicious summer pint. Pick it up at Crooked Eye right in the heart of Hatboro. Crooked Eye supporting us here on the podcast and serving the cure for what ails you since 2014. Well, here we are talking about Stevie Wonder on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Marcus, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, we do. I think we're going to be here for a while. I've got my pillow. I've got my popcorn. I've got my frosty <laughs> got brew. I'm ready. <laughs> he's been married three times. But, but he's got nine kids, So he's got and he's got a couple baby mamas. Yeah. It's cool, man. He has lived the coolest damn life. He even flew a Cessna from Chicago to New York. The plane. He was helping fly a plane. He got a chance Holy to do shit. it when he was on a flight, and he pushed a, he pushed something, and the the the, the plane took a dive, and the pilot had to correct it. He talked about it in the Intervisions interview with Rolling Stone. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> well, Intervisions, man, that's one of the records we're going to be talking about here in the second half of the podcast. True. Uh, live from the Dark Doc Studios. Thanks to Crooked Eye for their support of the podcast, and of course, One CBD at onecbd.com how many people do you know marcus who've won 25 grammys who have to have a whole case to display their grammys like that not too many right no maybe maybe two or three people tops or level i'll bet that kid who would come along with his four brothers a few years down the line probably is in that category of grammy winners he starts recording the jazz soul of little stevie i mean they were really enamored of this kid and they had to figure out what to do with them and on this album is kind of where he starts working with cosby and he's producing with clarence paul i think he played a lot of uh the instruments on this album as well hold on let's send a quick request to the research department see what they can tell Did us it. that is correct according to the research department I mean, he played the percussion, keyboard, and the harmonica. It wasn't a real big production. They went with the very simple songwriting philosophy, and the songs were not long. Marvin Gaye even has a songwriting credit on that first album with the song Soul Bongo. Soul Bongo. Soul Bongo. With little Stevie on bongos. They were trying to find ways to display his talent. I don't know if the fact that they both were blind men came into play, 
Uh, but they did an album called Tribute to Uncle Ray. And again, you got Henry Cosby and Clarence Paul producing all the songs, of course, are by the great Ray Charles. They're trying to, again, trying to find a, a vehicle for this young guy. He's very young, and we were talking about at this point. 62, he's 12 years old. I think he was yeah. born in 1950. So, yeah, he's he's a young whippersnapper, and boy, is he putting out music and performing at a level top tier already. Christmas time, 1963, actually past the Christmas buying season. Uh, Motown releases on Tamla. With a song in my heart. That's his third record, right? They dropped the little. He's no longer little Stevie Wonder. He's become a man child. Get your hat. And get your coat. And leave your worries on the doorstep. Yeah. And just direct your feet. Stevie Wonder with a song in my heart. And what's he singing? The songs of Hart and Rogers, Johnny Mercer, Billy Rose. You're talking about traditional, real building Americana. He loved all sorts of music, listened to all kinds of music, and played with, as we find out later in his career, played with some incredible musicians over the years. On our discussions that include Motown, Marcus, we've often talked about incorporating musicians from other markets, and this album is one of those places where the personnel listing is various Los Angeles session musicians. They were with the Wrecking Crew, and probably Carol Kay's in there, and some of the people that we've talked about in the past. And the neat thing is, I think it was Smokey that was saying that whenever they recorded in Chicago or L.A. or anywhere else, they still got that Motown sound because that was the music that was making that sound, not the room. But it's and it's funny because you said that because what you just said about making the Motown sound elsewhere, because a lot of people came to Detroit to try to make that Motown sound and they couldn't do it. They didn't have it in them. The album Uptight comes out in 1966. Things are not uptight and all right and out of sight anywhere in America. Things are going crazy in this country. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. And he comes out with an album. Again, you know, he's working with Clarence Paul. He's got Henry Cosby involved. Listen to the songs that Stevie puts on this record, right? Blowing in the Wind by Bob Dylan. There's a surprise. Sammy Kahn song, like two songs later. Uptight, Everything's All Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, written as Stevie Judkins, his birth name. Yeah, in those early days, Stevie Judkins was on his Motown contract, so he just signed his uh, right. he signed his song his uh, song title. He got his song credits as S. Judkins or Stevie Judkins. And he's got the Motown gang all over this album. Uh, Levi Stubbs is there. Uh, the Temps are there. The Funk Brothers are there. So there's all kinds of good stuff. And he has a big hit. That's uh, uh, Uptight was a, a big hit for Stevie. Huge hit. I remember hearing that as a kid. Also. In 66, he releases Down to Earth. Back to just working with Clarence Paul and Henry Cosby as the production team, and there's a lot of their writing in there. Also, his cover 
of a Sonny Bono song, Bang Bang. Remember that? Yep. Again, reaching out for other songwriters, as well as a song by Ron Miller and Brian Wells, Place in the Sun, things like that that start to appear on the album. And you start to see Ron Miller's name more, Sylvia Moy's name more, mm-hmm. as well as Cosby. Y'all start to see Stevie Wonder's name more in the songwriting credits. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking that it was really cool that this guy who wasn't that much older than me from Motown was singing Bob Dylan songs. That was something that got me, too. It shows you how wide his influences were and how much he loved music and he listened to everything and he pulled from it. Now, as often would happen when you're a, a burgeoning songwriter and an artist, uh, other people in the equation want to take credit and or collect publishing for your work and at this stage that was going on a little bit because Stevie was writing songs Uh, I was made to love her became a hit he was the lead writer on that He even gave his mom a little credit, though. Mm -hmm. You start to see his songwriting become more of a presence, and he's involving the Motown machine of Holland Dozier in Holland. Smokey and Ron White, his friend who helped bring him in, covering their song, My Girl, working with the great James Jamerson, Benny Benjamin on drums. Sweet. Oh, seriously. And yeah, Benny played on those last couple albums with him. That's where they developed their close relationship. And then they did a cover on the I Was Made to Lover, Can I Get a Witness, the Holland Dozier Holland song. While researching for this podcast, I was looking through and I learned something I never knew before. Sunday at Christmas is one of my favorite Motown Christmas songs. I've heard it done by Stevie and the Temps and all kinds of people. And I didn't know it was written by Ron Miller. So there you go. Ron Miller, turns out, is one of my favorite Motown songwriters, and I didn't realize that. Hey, we're learning through this podcast, and we're hoping that you're learning as well. Stevie Wonder Backwards is Ivitz Red Now. I don't think it was like Montavani, Easy 101 type stuff, you know, where, hey, relax, listen to the music. Elevator music. Cool. Elevator music, we used to call it. That's right. And by the way, that was a, a truly nasty epithet if somebody was, was making new music and the writer wanted to really throw a dart at him, it would be like, that's 
and that and that is fucking elevator music. You know what I'm talking about? The critical, <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> that was the anyway, the music that, insult in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. That's the elevator review, music. It was the review insult of so's your mom. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fisticuffs could ensue. And Stevie's playing the clavinet on this one, and he starts playing the clavinet a lot more on his music. From in 68? Yeah, he played the clavinet on this one. Well, from whatever that was, Marcus, he goes to an album that really, not only did it, it give him a lot of hit songs and stuff, but really starts to show him as a songwriting influence. For once in my life, it's his ninth album. It's 1968. He's only been doing this for like, what, seven years? A third of his life. He's 20 years old. He's 20 years old. He has nine albums. For Once in My Life is on there, obviously, the title track. And, of course, the title track is a big hit, but there's lots of other great music on there. And you start to see his name showing up more and more in the songwriting credits. He also does a really nice Billie Holiday, Arthur Herzog song called God Bless the Child on that record. Beautiful song. Beautiful song. Summer, 69, Stevie comes out with My Sharia More. The world's going to hell in this country and in other countries, too, in 1969. But he's singing about love. Yep, he believed in the power of love fully through and through and believed that love would prevail. I like that he did a little uh, cover of The Doors, Light My Fire, on there. I always liked that one when it would come on the radio. The other one that's on here that I really love is Yester Me, Yester You, Yesterday. Uh, it's a Ron Miller song that kind of fits the, the mood of the record, even though it has for that time a more of a retro feel to it. Once again, James Jamerson, Benny Benjamin. Seriously, the musicians that he had behind him playing are insane. The Funk Brothers, ridiculously talented. And you think, man, this guy's becoming a hit factory inside the hit factory. Yes. But based on the same platform, but with Stevie injecting more of Stevie into it, is an amazing album called Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. Now, the albums aren't comparable to concept albums or things like that that are coming out in the same time period, but it's the songs that he stacks up and the songs sources that he cobbles together that make the albums great like Signed, Sealed, and Delivered to I'm Yours he worked on that with his mom and Sarita Wright and Lee Garrett made a legendary song in the middle of that record. Covers the Beatles, right? We can work it out and he does a great cover of it and gives it his own Stevie Wonder feel. It's wonderful. He's starting to become a man and his own man. And we mentioned Sarita because she worked with him a little bit there on that record. We referenced earlier Where I'm Coming From, which is the next record that he puts out. And it really changes the tone of what's going on with Stevie Wonder creatively. songs are written by Stevie and Sarita. The album comes out in April 71, between when they started recording it and its release, Stevie and Sarita got married. And they would do more work together in the future, even after they were divorced. But this is their creative wheelhouse. It's not his biggest charting album or anything like that, but creatively, this is a different turn 
for the great Stevie Wonder. I still remember hearing If You Really Love Me for the first time and being blown away by it. We didn't have the album at my house. I didn't hear this album in its completeness until I was an adult. It is a really, really good album. And like you said, it shows you the direction that Stevie Wonder is turning into and the quote-unquote music experts in the journalism field, the people who write about it and who have been following it for years and years and years, refer to this time as the beginning of the classic Stevie Wonder period. Everything changed, and you'll hear it from album to album. And if you ever get the time, listen to these five albums in a row, and you'll hear that direction. And you even start with, oh, like, yeah, you will. like, seriously, start with Sign Seal Delivered, go into this one, where I'm coming from, and then Music of My Mind, and you will hear right. the changes and the progression and the growth that he went through, kind of like how Marvin Gaye made those switches. And while they were two totally different, you can see parallels to how their changes went. And that's why we keep bringing Marvin up in this, because they their changes paralleled each other, even though they were on different paths. And all of that is right on, Marcus, as we look at the Music of My Mind album. Stevie at the helm. And guess who he's working with? Because we were just talking about these guys. Malcolm Cecil and Robert Margolef. Tonto's expanding headband. They're the guys behind that duo producing this record with Stevie Wonder, which, by the way, is his most expanding uh, headband-type album so far. He's really been moving in the form and direction of electronics. We talked about how he started already to use the clavinet before it was a thing. And then on this and then on this record, he does Superwoman. It's a different kind of feel. It's like, what is that? Everyone wants to be a superwoman But is that really in a head? But I just want to live each day the love of in the production fields and maybe it's because you got Tonto in the room you know but whatever it is it really uh, is a different feeling record and starts to give you an inkling of what's coming up. And I know you know what's next in the uh, Hitsville catalog. I do. Stevie Wonder because this record we've talked about countless times. Yep. How it was an influence on you because it was always on in your house. Mm -hmm. Talking about Stevie Wonder's talking book. I remember seeing this record in my dad's record collection for the first time. I was six years old. It was new. And I see this man in this really interesting outfit with braids in his hair. And I'm six years old going, Dad, what's that? Why is, is his hair braided that way? It's you know, what's he wearing? What's it? Is it? What is it? Da, 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 da. And my dad's like, this is what it is and he put it on the first song i heard uh, was da, 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 of my life yep song on the album and and I think my mind was completely blown and it just made you feel good and it just kind of makes you move and it makes you sway and then I remember hearing superstition and starting to bounce to it and being like dude 
you're a little kid listening to your dad's record with him, he's getting all excited because you're geeking out on his music, right? Think totally. of it that way. Oh, absolutely. And then he gets the end of side one, he flips it over, and he knows Superstition's coming next, and then you're like Luca now. Yeah. When I play the Ramones or I play Green Day or Devo for Luca or anything right. like that, he bounces in that same way. But yes, exactly. The beauty of this music, even though it's very black in its thematics and its mood, it still resonates strongly with all people. And I think that's a power that Stevie Wonder had that very few musicians were able to ever have in their life. And I think that's not only a power, but a gift. There's another song on this record because of those two monster hits that could be easily overlooked. You talked about love. On this album, he and, and Yvonne Wright write a song together that has become a standard. I'm sure it's been played and sung at countless weddings. It is a true love song. Every now and then, an artist gets to write something that's pure. I believe when I fall in love, it will be forever, is pure. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to say about that. It's just pure. It is, and this album is pure. pure. Talking Book was sandwiched in between Music of My Mind, which was amazing, and Intervisions, which is the next step in the progress. Oh, it's all Stevie taking more artistic freedom from the Motown sound and the machine. He had uh, guests appearing like Jeff Beck and Ray Parker Jr., Dave Sanborn, mm-hmm. Buzzy Fighton. You know, the sound of the album is different, even from Music of My Mind, which was different from Where I'm Coming From, which was different from Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. And that's the progressive thing that we always talk about. He is progressing towards neo-soul, progressive soul, yeah, whatever pro- you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, progressive soul. I mean, you're right. And we've talked about that with he and Marvin Gaye. I think we're two, the two bigwigs as far as progressive soul goes because they put together these brilliant concept albums that flowed thematically right. and musically all the way through. They were able to put the songs together in the right order. They were able to do so many things with the music. I just had a really funny thought. Do you think they had 100 cassettes that they did with all different orders to figure it out? No, like, no. <laughs> I don't even think they were allowed to use as much tape. No, you know, I think a lot less tape. I think they had a lot less tape than most of those other uh, musicians were able to be afforded in some of the uh, rock excess and some of the 80s. So. Speaking of rock excess, you're right on time, my brother. Oh, yeah? The release of Talking Book in 72 is time perfectly to come right after they come off the road with the Rolling Stones with that famous 72 tour where he opened for them. was right there it was the launching pad then they put out talking book and then you know it seems like almost immediately you started hearing songs on the radio from inner visions we're 16 albums into a career and the guy's not even what no he's 23 years old 24 years old 16 albums in and the collaborations continue on inner visions and the expansion of the universe one of the things i love is that uh, wonder always 
would at least try. Like when there was a new clavinet keyboard coming out, he had to have one of the first five. So he was always experimenting. But Inner Visions is him expressing, you know, it's after the accident, right? No, the album was released. And then like four days later, after one of the shows, he was in a car accident. A truck that had like big uh, logs hit something in front of him and the wood came off and like rolled over their car and it pretty much smashed up his face. He was hurt really badly. I'm picturing it as you talk and it sounds terrifying and especially for someone who doesn't see. You've talked about your difficulties with the fates and why you feel that way, right? Mm -hmm. Here's a situation where the fates are kinder because were it like six inches to a foot lower he would have probably been killed and then you're left with too high in visions and living for the city and golden lady higher ground as the final songs of stevie wonder's career and thank the lord whatever form you pray to him that that didn't happen that day Mm -hmm. and that he went on to make even more amazing music as the 70s carry on which one of the songs on uh, inner visions is the one that really gets you in the feels every time marcus I would have to say higher ground, but living for the city is right there because the first radio station I worked at in Denver was a hits of the 70s, 80s, and they played a lot of soul, and living for the city was one of the songs that we played. You Worry About a Thing was another song that we played at the station I worked sure. at. So I heard those a lot more than I heard Higher Ground. For some reason, they thought Higher Ground was too rock and roll at the station I worked at. So I heard Living for the City more. Again, another one of those musicians who wrote songs that were relevant at that time are even more relevant and more important now, 40, 50 years later. And that is one of those songs. So true. So true. You mentioned Don't You Worry About a Thing. I just love that song. It is just Stevie Wonder at his very best. And everybody likes Higher Ground. And you know what? Your program director on that station wasn't wrong because look what the Chili Peppers did with Higher Ground. I know, on the Mother's Milk record. That is a rock record for sure. Ain't no doubt. I did notice one thing. It's funny how uh, Tonto and his expanding headband keep coming up. We know that's not their name. (laughs) One of the instruments on Living for the City is the Tonto Synthesizer. Yes. I kid you not. And yes, the guys who developed it are the guys from Tonto's expanding headband. It only makes sense that they would name the synthesizer after their band name totally. If you notice Living for the City and Higher Ground, Stevie Wonder played all the instruments on those songs. He's good like that. Really good like that. It is the imbalanced history of rock and roll celebrating the music and the mind of Stevie Wonder. And we're talking about inner visions. It's interesting that he goes out of the picture for a while after he gets hurt in the accident, right? Mm -hmm. When he comes back, he certainly doesn't disappoint with fulfilling this as 
first finale. Gets him back in a rhythm, making new music. And Boogie on Reggae Woman's got to be on everybody's uh, Stevie Wonder Spotify list, right? Absolutely. That was another one of the songs that we played on the hits of the 70s and 80s from his early days because of the greatness of that song and makes you move and it makes you bounce. And I also remember You Haven't Done Nothing with the Jackson 5 doing background vocals on that one. Well, he expanded his musical palette on this album, too, incorporating people like Denise Williams, The Persuasions. He starts working with Michael Cimbello a little bit. Yeah. Sergio Mendez, right? Yeah. Minnie Ripperton, the great late uh, Minnie Ripperton. Paul Anka does some background vocals on this record as well. Yeah, oh, that's crazy. I didn't see that. Heaven is ten what? zillion light years away. But you're right. He's he's that oh, yeah. guy. What a great song, by the way. I was listening to that yesterday, and I forgot how amazing that song is. Yep. And he did stuff with uh, Sneaky Pete from the Flying Burrito Brothers. Appeared on a bunch of his albums in the '70s as well. Finding all these streams that are crossing things that people are doing things together that. We we didn't realize. Oh, yeah. And yeah, if you don't know who Michael Cimbello is, maniac, maniac, oh no. That might and be the played, way you know him. he played with a lot of people. He played on a great, lot of records. Seriously, a great guitarist, but for pop songs, that might be the one you know him for, because I think that was Flashdance, if I'm not mistaken. I believe you're not mistaken. <laughs> I guess we'll have to have the research department come in by the end on that one. No hurry, research department. No hurry. What's that? Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. No, <laughs> they already got it. Okay. You are not mistaken. Okay, good. But yeah, no, he's a great guitarist. Be right. That was a quick comeback from the, from the research. They better be right, Marcus. Otherwise, they're in big trouble i know i think everybody needs to take a deep breath like we all need to <sighs> take a deep breath yeah because we're about to enter into a different realm of stevie wonder on the imbalance history of rock and roll stevie actually thought about retiring and taking a long break from music he was burned out he was fried he was still recovering from the accident he didn't know if he could go on anymore and so he took some time off and i'm gonna guess that's when some of these songs started coming to him i'm not sure ray which one of us loves this album more it's definitely a toss-up. You know what? Normally, I would just go immediately. We're we're doing the Skype thing. I would go me, but you know what? I realize how much it means to you as well. It was released. I was in college, and this album came out. A double album from Stevie Wonder. I couldn't wait, man. And we started playing it in uh, Beck Hall at Kutztown State University, and we couldn't believe it either. How much stuff was on there? All the different sounds, all the different songs, all working together somehow on a double album that would bring a lot of those divided camps that we've talked about together. Rock and funk and R&B and soul all kind of merging together. All songs in the key of life. Not songs in the key of you or me or, or her or him. Songs in the key of life. What did it win? Uh, everything at the yes. Grammys that year? Yes. Yes, it won everything at the Grammys that year. And the year before, it's funny because we've talked about this on previous podcasts, but the year before, the year he took off, Paul Simon won the Grammy for the 50 Ways to Leave Your uh, Lover album. With uh, Yeah. And when he made his thank you speech, one of the people he thanked was Stevie Wonder for not releasing an album that year. Well, I, I'm, I'm very happy to win this, and I, I want to uh, thank uh, Phil Ramone, who has co-produced this with me. Uh, 
and Phoebe Snow, who sang along with me on the album. And Art Garfunkel, who sang with me on My Little Town. And uh, most of all, I'd like to thank uh, Stevie Wonder, who didn't make an album this year. So. <laughs> I remember that. It was funny then. It's still funny now. Absolutely. So it just shows you the dominance with which Stevie Wonder had over the music world at that time. If somebody as great as Paul Simon is thanking Stevie Wonder for not releasing an album, it tells you how dominant Stevie Wonder was at that time. You couldn't be any hotter. He would probably never get to that level again. But who cares? Look at the legacy. It's sealed as one of the truly great artists uh, of all time. Without a doubt, one and, of the greatest of and all time. I, every inch of this album is great and amazing. Mm -hmm. You start with a song like Love's in Need of Love Today. And who hasn't had a day that feels like that? It's the perfect way to start that album off. And again, like we've said, and I feel like I'm being redundant as hell and repetitive, but again, another one of those songs that's even more relevant today than when it was written, because if there's anything our society needs today is love does need more love right now, without a doubt. The Soulful Have a Talk with God village ghetto land with some of the more modern keyboard innovations of the time being used for some of the orchestration stuff and then contusion which i mentioned in passing earlier <laughs> this is hot stuff folks just listen to this seriously hot and that leads into sir duke which is the trademark track from this album that everybody in the universe knows because it's all about the great Duke Ellington and it's Stevie at his finest. smiling and having fun and paying tribute to some of the people that made a big influence in his life and helped influence his sound and the people he listened to as a child growing up. One of my favorite parts of Double Albums, partner, is when you flip the album, it's always great, but you get to flip the album twice and change it once. You flip it over and it starts with I Wish. Another song that was a big hit was on the radio a lot. And then four songs in a row that are among my favorite Stevie Wonder songs, Knocks Me Off My Feet, Pastime Paradise. The string synths on that alone make that album great. Summer Soft and Ordinary Pain. He's blending idioms and sounds and everything in, in a way that this is where the confluence of all the creative rivers he's put out there are all coming to him here in this one song. It's kind of funny because... You could look at the front of the cover. That's where they're all being deposited, right there on the front there. And the song that is a, a, it's a tear bringer for me, Marcus, uh, Start Side 3, Isn't She Lovely? Um, this song was a hit around the time my oldest, Jessica, was born. I can only and imagine.
happening again. I know you're getting teared up too, buddy. It it's... happens every time I think about the line, so I'm not going to mention any more about that. And then, uh, joy, there's joy inside my tears. Trust me, and that's the name of the next song. And then, Black Man uh, wraps up side three of songs in the key of life. Yeah. Hold on, I need a tissue. No worries. Ikulela. Ikulela. <laughs> yes, I am singing. If it's magic, yes. okay, yes. I am singing Esu and Historia. I am singing. Uh, and then a song that I love as well called If It's Magic. And as in another star, the way they flow to finish the album, it's kind of like the exclamation point. But instead of it being like in the same size font, it's like in this 18 size font. Yeah. It's a giant exclamation point on songs in the key of life. Sorry, bro. I lost it a little. No worries. It's it, it's great, and it shows us and everybody listening the power of music. And at some point, we'll do a complete breakdown and personal, I guess, analysis oh. or discussion on songs in the key of life. Kind of like what we just did with Peter Gabriel's So. Yes. So we'll be back for more, and I'll probably lose it again. Definitely. Um, I couldn't wait for the arrival of Journey Through the Secret Life of Plants in 1979. That album became high, heavy-duty listening in my house. I absorbed the whole thing, and it's one of those things that it was the next step because he used even newer technology in the making of the album and simulating a lot of the sounds and the things that he wanted to inject and create and put in there. I couldn't wait for what became Journey Through the Secret Life of Plants in 1979. The thing was, the music was amazing. The technology was amazing. Uh, he was using the, the next newest layer of uh, digitized synthesizers, creating sounds, the wildlife sounds. He really did an amazing job of putting it all together. It became a landmark album because of the groundbreaking nature of it, I guess you'd say. Mm -hmm. It was almost all instrumental as well. And another double album. So he did back-to-back -back double albums, which I think was a rarity in the Ooh. music world. And he totally took a new direction. I'm sure it caught the people waiting, the people waiting for the follow-up to Songs in the Key of Life off guard because of what, you know, he, he went fully into nature with songs like Venus Flytrap and the Bug, Earth's Creation, The First Garden, Power Flower, Race Babbling, Black Orchid. There was only like one or two singles, three singles on the album. I don't know how well they did on the radio. I don't remember, you know, as far as charting goes, how well they did. But the instrumentals are beautiful on this album. I pretty much just took in the whole experience on that and really dug in on the next record, Hotter Than July, which sees Stevie going back to a more traditional song-based format, including a song called Happy Birthday, written for and about uh, the great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the drive to make his birthday a memorial holiday. But that's one of the things. The momentum was already there. People were already talking about that as, as something that should happen. Stevie's voice gave extra push and helped to push it through to the finish line. I remember playing Master Blast and yeah. hearing that one, that was the one I heard. And again, at the kind of like the title track, it's yeah. hotter than the Fourth of July. Yeah, I remember playing that one early days in radio, and I remember hearing it as well. So, and it actually hit number one on the Hot Soul singles and number five on Billboard Pop. Happy Birthday hit number two in the British charts, and it did really well all over the world as far as charting goes. Listen, you're talking about a guy who has been to the top of the mountain mm -hmm. and stayed there 
and stayed there. And then, by the way, went, oh, here's one more level. Here's songs in the key of life. And this is those two records we just talked about. It's kind of like almost a cooling down period, if you think about it. Yeah, that's true. Continues to make records. The Woman in Red in Square Circle characters. He does Jungle Fever, the soundtrack for the amazing Spike Lee joint. So his sounds are in and part of that urban tale. Conversation Peace, as in Peace Sells, But Who's Buying, P-E-A-C-E, in 1995. And then 10 years before Time to Love in 2005. And that's the last album that we got from Stevie Wonder. But uh, until recently, uh, he had been out doing a lot of touring. He's ill of health. And we wish nothing but love for a man who's given so much love and so much presence of mind to so many of us who continue to absorb his music and see how it's relevant even today, as we were talking about during the podcast. Oh, yeah. His lasting impact on the world of music is going to be felt for centuries. I mean, it really is. The things that he did, the thing, the way he changed music, the way he moved people, the way he put songs together, he took all of that to a whole new level. Oh, my God, what a genius. What a gift to this planet we have with him. And we hope that his current uh, situation with his health comes out well. When you look at your life, uh, people get to be reflective when you get to be Stevie's age, right? And he's got to look back to those early days and then the mid-60s and the late-60s. I'm looking at the list of singles Mm -hmm. that he released from 1969 forward. My Sharia Moore, Yester Me, Yester You, Yesterday, Signed, Sealed, Delivered, I'm Yours. Great song. Superwoman, Superstition, Super Stuff. You Are the Sunshine of My Life in Higher Ground, Living for the City. Don't worry about a thing. Yep, I know. Boogie on reggae woman, I wish, sir, dude. I mean, on and on and on. When you look at it that way and you just look at that run of music, there's not much more to say. But thank you, Stevie Wonder, for everything. Really, thank you for everything. Absolutely. You know what, though? We could also talk about some of the uh, songs that he wrote that he didn't perform as well. I mean, he wrote It's a Shame by The Spinners. He wrote Tell Me Something Good by Rufus. Roberta Flack. He wrote songs for all that That's What Friends Are For album he was a big writer on. He did some stuff with uh, Jeff Beck, Because We've Ended As Lovers, and Thelonious, which are on the Blow By Blow album. So he's worked and played with some of the most amazing people. B.B. King, he played keyboards for on To Know You Is To Love You. If you're a musician, to play with Stevie Wonder. He's one of those guys. And that's why we've wanted to talk about him here on the podcast for what feels like a million years. And I guess in <laughs> podcast years, it's a million in podcast years. We Not that anything is more priority than the other. It's just great to finally get around to sitting down and digging into Stevie Wonder because we didn't really do him justice when we did our Motown episode. And we didn't really get into the sheer genius that is the man known as Stevie Wonder. So I'm glad we did it, bro. Me too. Definitely glad we did it. I, he's definitely one of those people that qualifies as a superman or a superhuman because of all that he's done. And he didn't have that really messed up childhood or that really dark moment. Never had a drug problem. Tried marijuana once. Didn't like it because he got really paranoid. <laughs> but he really really absorbs life and you hear it you feel it in his music and you see it and 
The world is just luckier because we have Stevie Wonder. And amen to that. I feel it's time for us to go, mon frere. I think you are correct, my friend. I think you are correct. Don't forget to be in touch via email, imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. You can also find our website, imbalancedhistory.com. As we head out the door, we thank Stevie Wonder once again and remind you that we'll be here again soon with another new episode of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll.